Thank you, Mike, for that message through song. If you would, please turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. You're going to be looking at one of the messages to one of the churches uh, in the book of Revelation as we begin what uh, the next five weeks is going to be called, really the next four weeks is going to be called our Road to Revival. And our, our point and purpose between all, uh, in the midst of all of this is that we begin to prepare our hearts and our minds for our revival services and for all the things that, that God is calling us to do as we build up to our revival service time. We're going to be reading the first six verses in Revelation chapter 3. This is called the message to Sardis. And if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. And the word of God says this to the angel of the church in Sardis, write, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. He who overcomes will be thus will thus be clothed in white garments and I will not erase his name from the book of life. And I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Please be seated. As I've already said, over the course of the next five weeks, we are, are going to be preparing ourselves for revival services in hopes that we will experience both personal revival, that our church may be revived, and that our community may also experience revival through what we are doing. See, the goal of revival is, is not going to be just about us. And having some good services and getting some extra preaching and having a, a bunch of extra activities and, and, and things to do. But the purpose of revival is to bring about a change and a renewal in our entire community. As we have said on multiple times throughout the last many years, we believe that we are here at Tunnel Hill Baptist Church in the Tunnel Hill area because God has called us to, to minister to this area and to this community for the glory of God. And so as we look at revival, we are looking for revival not just within the walls of this church, but throughout the community of this, uh, around this church. But that begs the question, what is revival? What are we working towards? Why are we doing all of this? What does it mean for our church and for us and for our community to experience revival? Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines revival in this way. A renewed attention to or interest in something, including a period of renewed religious interest. The dictionary goes on to call it this. 
a highly emotional evangelistic meeting or series of meanings. One may look at what we are planning to do and, and see that second definition. And just say, oh, well, the church is going to have some extra services. We're going to really hype up the, the music and the extra stuff. And we're going to we're going to create just kind of an emotional series of services to try to get our church to to really feel good or feel something. But I don't think that's going to really have a lasting impact in our community. In fact, often emotions that can have a, a, a great pitch and, and movement to them on one day can be almost completely forgotten about the next day. And so I do not believe, even though I, I think this is a good de definition for a dictionary, I do not believe for a moment that the revival that we are seeking is merely emotional evangelistic meetings or a series of meetings. So again, we ask the question, what is revival? Charles Spurgeon talked about revival and, and he said this about it. He said, the benefits of revival to any church in the world will be a lasting blessing. I do not mean that false and spurious kind of revival that was common a few years ago. I do not mean the excitement attendant upon religion which was brought men into kind of a spasmatic godliness and translated them from being sensible beings into such that could only rave about a religion that they did not understand. I do not think that this is real and true revival. God's revival, whilst they are attended with a great heat and warmth of piety, yet with them knowledge as well as life and understanding as well as power. What Spurgeon is saying is that true, true revival is not just about fire and emotion. It is not just about feelings and cultivating a certain response from the congregation or from the community, but rather true revival is about gaining a deeper understanding of who God is and then responding in repentance and a, new, and a renewed desire to live for Jesus. That is what we are seeking in the next five weeks. And that is exactly what Jesus is calling the church of Sardis to in our text today. As we prepare our hearts for revival... It is critical that we take the words of Jesus in this passage seriously. And that we do not seek to apply this to the church down the road or the church over the hill or to other people in the church. But rather we hear the words that Jesus spoke to Sardis and we apply them to our own hearts in this very moment. So let's look at our text again and let's begin to understand the message that Jesus is declaring to this church. As I've already said, we recognize first that Jesus is calling the church to see itself as it really is. Now, if you look at the text in, in the very beginning, it says to the angel of the church in Sardis, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this. That is a reference to Jesus that he makes about himself at the very beginning of the book of Revelation. And so what he does as he is speaking here is he is identifying himself again. It is Jesus that is talking to the church in Sardis. 
I don't know if you have a red letter Bible, but if you do, undoubtedly this part is in red because we want to identify who is speaking here and who is speaking is the resurrection, resurrected and glorified Jesus, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And what he calls the church to do is something that we need to think about. Jesus begins his words to the church with this statement. I know your deeds and that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. This is a church. The church in Sardis is a church with a reputation. And make no mistake, for good or for bad, every church that you encounter probably has a reputation. There are people in this community that know things about every church, including Tunnel Hill. And some of that stuff is probably good, but some of that stuff may very well be bad. And Sardis is no exception. See, Sardis has what we would probably look at as a good reputation. They are a church that on the surface and, and what everybody else sees is a church that is alive. That they are doing stuff, that they are active in all sorts of things. We can identify this type of church even today. We recognize a church that at least on the surface looks alive. They're going to have ministries that, that people know about. Maybe they have a, a, a food pantry or maybe they, they go out and do visitation. Maybe people talk about how lively and exciting their, their worship service is and, and how, how moving their music ministry is or how fiery their preacher is. They are constantly creating events and doing all sorts of stuff, whether it's a men's retreat or a women's study or this or that. And, and their calendar is filled with things. And not only their calendar, but their Facebook and their Instagram and everything else is filled with all sorts of activity and busyness. And it is easy for us to be deceived into believing that when we are busy, that we are doing a great job. But the catch is, is the moment we begin to think that we are doing a great job because we are busy, we open up an opportunity for the enemy to move. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 is, is a, a verse that I've been called to memorize, and it says, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed so he does not fall. See, the church in Sardis very much so thought they were a church that was standing that they were alive, that they were moving, that they were doing well. But they were not heeding the words of Paul to, in the, this letter to the church in Corinth. And so while they stood, they were not taking heed so that they might fall. And as they stood there, the very foundation of their existence was being washed out from underneath them. Even today, the church, we often conflate being busy with being faithful, and often that just isn't the case. You may think because you come to Sunday school and you come to church because you help out with this ministry or that ministry because you show up at these times and you serve on these committees that you must be doing everything right in the church and you have nothing to worry about, but that's not the measure that Christ is looking for. We busy ourselves with programs and studies and meetings and service projects. We talk all about giving and the like, but our hearts are just grinding it out because we think it helps our situation either with God or with the church at large. But in doing so, we miss the point. 
we forget the very reason why we belong to Jesus. There was people in the Bible who also thought that their busyness and their religiousness would make them well with God. In fact, if you were in a Sunday school class this morning, undoubtedly you read from Amos chapter 4 and a group of people who thought the very same thing. But in Jesus' day, there was this group called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were kind of the religious bouncers of Israel. And if you did what they said, how they said it, when they said it, then you got to be a part of everything going on. But if you didn't, then they could label you a sinner and ostracize you from all areas of life. And they thought their outward religion was what made them right with God, but rather this is what Jesus had to say about them. He said, Woe, you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law and justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these things you should have done without neglecting the other. See, the Pharisees were all about the the outward things and they would show up at the temple and they would lay out all of their things and say, look, look, God, I'm giving this to you. And look, God, I'm giving that to you. And look, God, I'm doing this for you. And then they'd look at everybody else and say, see how much I love God. But they only did that on Saturday. They only did that on the day that they were required to do so at the temple. And the rest of their day, they did none of it. They neglected the law. They neglected grace and mercy. They neglected justice. And in all of those things, they lived the rest of their life as though God played no role in it. And if we're not careful, brothers and sisters, we will do the exact same thing. Including myself. I can lay my sermon out here on the pulpit and I can present it with all the fiery gusto that that I might want to 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 do that. But you know what? If I go home and I treat my wife with contempt and I treat my children like slaves and, and people that are only there as a nuisance. If I go from this building today and I go to a restaurant and I talk down to the waitress and treat the people that are are serving me poorly, then I am no different than these Pharisees, than Sardis, and then the northern kingdom in Amos' day. See, it's not that the busy that we often do when we're here or connected to church is bad. Even Jesus said that you should be doing these other things without neglecting these. But it's that when we get busy we can forget that we are called to love God and to love people. And in doing so, as he says to the church in Sardis, we begin to die. And we become a husk of who God created us to be. On the outside, we look alive. On the outside, we look like we're following Jesus. But on the inside, we are dead. And our love towards God is dead. And that a desire to be pleasing towards God dies. I don't want you looking around the room right now. Because this is one for you. And this is one for me to think about myself. Am I putting on a show on the outside? 
Am I presenting a caricature of myself that follows Jesus and loves Jesus? When in reality, in my heart, I'm just grinding it out so that no one knows the difference. If so, keep listening. Because now after Jesus has helped them to see their actual state, he goes on to say this. He said, he leads to their command and he says, strengthen what remains. You know, if we look at our passage, you know, the, the thing that Jesus has just said is bad news. He says, I know your deeds, that you have a reputation, you have a name for being alive, but you are actually dead. And that's some bad news. I don't think anybody here wants to hear something like that. We don't want somebody to tell us, hey, I know you think you've got it going on, but you don't. I know you think you've got your act together, but you don't. I know you think you are being pleasing to God, but you are not. That's bad news. But Jesus immediately responds to that bad news with some good news. Because it leads us to hope that things can change. Regardless of where you are in your walk today, if I have even now just, just ripped your heart out and you are feeling like, like what I am saying absolutely applies to you, I have good news for you, and that is that you are not finished, that God is still calling you to draw closer to Him in order that you might live life in the way He intended, that you might live life to its fullest. Look again at verse 3. It begins to answer for us the question of what it means to strengthen what remains. We look at verse 2, it says, wake up and strengthen what remains where you are about to die. And then he says, so remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. So let's break down the three things that he calls us to do in order to strengthen what remains in us. The first thing he says to do is to remember. Remember what you have received and what you have heard. This is most certainly a call back to the gospel. Remember what you heard in the beginning. This reminds me of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 when he says, For I brought to you of, pers- of, of, of first importance what I also received, that, that God, Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and that He rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. Paul, even in, in the church in Corinth, had to go back to the very first thing anybody would have heard from any apostle or any preacher or any person, which was the gospel. And he says, remember the gospel. Laney, put up the, the circles here. So let's, let's make sure we know what we're doing. We present the gospel in this church a very specific way. Thank you, Brittany. You weren't ready for me yet, were you? And the gospel, as we present it, begins with the fact that God has a design. That God is created, that God created all things on purpose, with a purpose, and that includes you and me. But we don't stick to and we don't follow God's design, but we try to create our own design, and that's called sin. And sin always, always, always takes us someplace, and the place it's going to take us is to a place of brokenness. See, the first thing we need to remember, you're getting there, you're doing great. The first thing that we need to remember 
When it says, remember what you have heard, is we need to remember that there was a point in time where we were far from God, we were dead in our sins, and we were destined to destruction. It is hard to get arrogant when you remember that you are just a sinner like everyone else in the world. I'm not better. You're not better. You're not better. That every single person in here is is nothing more than a sinner who may have been saved by grace. And I say may have because I don't know the condition of your soul in this very moment in time. But every single person in this room, regardless of how holy they may, may act like right now or how unholy they may act right now, and I'm not implying that this side of the church is more holy than that side of the church, just for the record, all of us have in our lives sinned, walked away from God and His purposes and designs, and all of us have found ourselves in a place of brokenness without fail. Do not forget that. And this is where the gospel came in. See, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus is the Christ. That He is the Son of the living God. That He is God who put on flesh. And that He lived a perfect life. And He died on the cross for our sins, according to the Scriptures. That He was buried. And on the third day, He rose from the grave. And that through Him, we have new life. I've heard it said before, and I really truly believe it to be true, that that the Christian should never move past the cross. That every day, and in every interaction, and everything that we do, and in everything that we believe, we should always be going back to the fact that we are sinners saved by grace. And that any sort of holiness and any sort of understanding and anything that we have as followers of Jesus is only possible because Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Now, the scriptures say that if we repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that we'll be saved. Specifically, Romans 10, which I quote, hopefully by now you have memorized, says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart we believe unto righteousness, and with the mouth we confess unto salvation. And if we turn from our sin and turn back to God, believing that Jesus is the Christ who lived, who died, and who rose again, then it says that we'll be saved from our sin and our brokenness, and we'll begin to recover and pursue God's design for our life. Now, you have heard this enough that it may be very easy for your eyes to start to glaze over when this picture comes up. But I want you to remember in this very moment, this is life. This is what matters more than anything else. And the first thing that Jesus calls the church in Sardis to do is to remember the good news of the gospel. To remember that they are sinners saved by grace. That God so loved them that He gave His only Son. That whosoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. If we get to a point where the gospel is no longer a big deal, then we have a problem. 
And so Jesus calls the church, even our church today, to remember the good news of the gospel. Leave that up, please. After he calls them to remember what they have heard and what they've experienced, then he calls them to obey. He says, remember what you have received and heard and keep it. Well, how do we keep this? How do we actually do the gospel? And I think that we can look at what Jesus called us to do in the midst of his ministry and begin to really understand what it means to hear the good news of the gospel, to believe the good news of the gospel, and then to keep it. And we find that through the greatest commandments and the great commission. Matthew 22 says this, and he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Beyond this, we have the great commission that we find in Matthew 28 that says, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and I am with you always even to the end of the age. Notice, none of this talks about all the busyness that sometimes we fill up our church life with. None of it. If you're wanting to be obedient, if you're wanting to keep what Christ has called us to do, then that implies doing some major things. One, it requires loving God. Now, do we love God when we go to church and we come to church to express our love for God? Absolutely. Is that essential that we as a church corporately come together and sing praises to God and hear about his word because we love God? Certainly. But can we do all of those things without a love for God in our heart? You better believe it. We need to be careful. Because when we think about the greatest thing that God ever told us to do, It was love him, not go to church. And then with it is the second greatest commandment, which is love other people. We are called to honestly and sincerely love other people. And that doesn't mean love them by giving them everything they want and being a doormat for them. What parent in the room could honestly say that they love their children by turning their children into spoiled little brats? That's not how we're called to love other people, but rather we love people by bringing them to Jesus. And that leads us to the last thing that we're called to do, and that is make disciples of all nations. See, what the church in Sardis needed to do was remember the gospel And then to start living the gospel and proclaiming the gospel. If they were going to revive what remained in their life, they needed to do these things, which leads us to our final thing that Jesus calls them to do, which is repent. We've said this before, and if you look at our picture, the the word repent means to change direction. We see sin going this way and then repentance going that way. 
It is turning from doing the things our way to doing what we want to do, how we want to do it, when we want to do it, and doing it the world's way and beginning to do things God's way, beginning to see things God's way, beginning to, to say and make a commitment that I am going to do what Jesus is telling me to do and not what I want to do myself. And I have news for everyone in the room. None of us ever really get to a point where we can stop repenting and just go. We are always turning more and more things over to Jesus and doing more and more in the way of repentance so that we can be more and more like Jesus. All of us in this room today need to take just a moment and ask ourselves if there are still areas in our life that we have not given over to God. Or if there are areas in our lives that at one point in our life we thought we had given to God, but in recent days, for whatever reason it might be, we have taken those things back. And we need to return them to God. See, that's what repentance really is. Repentance is finally going up to the Lord and saying, God, I don't know what I was thinking. I thought I could handle this without you. And I was wrong. And we take these different areas of our life and we hand them to God and we say, God, I commit this to you. I trust you. This is yours. It is not mine. I want you to have it. And I want you to set my priorities. I want you to take this. And if it means that it means it's gone forever, then let it be gone. But if it means that you change it, if you flip it, if you turn it upside down and you put it in the right context so that I can live, so that I might still have it in my life, but have it in submission to you, God, then that's what I want. So as we prepare for revival, this has to be a season that we begin to remember the gospel. And what a profound and wonderful thing that it is and what a profound change it has made in our lives. It needs to be a season where we begin to actually truly be obedient to Christ and to what he has commanded us. And it must be a season of repentance. Where we begin to recognize the areas in our life where we are not living for him. And handing those things back to him. This is how over the course of the next five weeks we might actually strengthen what remains and call our friends and our community to do the same. This leads us to one final question, which is why? Why do we need to do all of this? Why does this matter as we move towards revival? Why do we even need to do this whole revival thing? And the answer is found in the text. And it's actually found in verse 2 when he says, he says, strengthen what remains, which was about to die. And then look at the second part of verse 2 when he says this, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. See, if, if the fact that they, were, they thought they were alive but they were dead was the bad news, and the fact that there was hope that they could still strengthen what remains is the good news, then the fact that their deeds were not completed in the eyes of God, guys, that's the great news. Because that's true of us here today. See, here's the great news, is that God is not done with you. 
and that He has a purpose for you and that He has a plan for you and that He is about to do something great in you. If we think about this for just a second, if God is calling us to revival, to renewal, to strengthen what remains, and I truly believe that he is here at Tunnel Hill Baptist Church, then that means God has a plan for this church in regards for his kingdom. And he is he is planning and he is working and he is doing things so that Tunnel Hill Baptist Church can have an impact in this community and throughout Hardin County. Now, that ought to excite you a little bit. We are not just some little podunk church on the side of the road that just keeps our people nice and happy and, and, and content in their lives. God has a mission for this church and it is about to go down. I hope that excites you just a little bit. That God is about to do a work in this church and that God has called you to be a part of that work because you are in this church. Do not let this opportunity pass you by. Notice what he even says in the text there. Think about this. This church is getting a letter from Jesus. How cool and yet scary would it be if suddenly we got something in the mail that said to the church in Tunnel Hill. From the holder of the seven stars and the keeper of the seven lampstands. I have a word for you. First off, I'd be like, oh boy. But then as you read the letter, you were reminded that God has put us here for a reason and that we have a mission that is not complete. Hallelujah. That means we have a reason to turn the lights on tomorrow. Amen. And if we took that letter and we went, we're fine. Look what he says. He says this, remember, he says, keep, he says, do. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I am coming to you. See, if we let this opportunity pass us by, if we brush this off as something for the kids or just that Pastor Josh has gotten some crazy idea and it'll pass, if we think that, well, it's fine and good that he thinks God is doing something, but I'm just going to keep doing what I've always done. Then it says that we will miss our chance to be used by God in a mighty way. And the scariest thing is, is we won't even know it. See, when Jesus says, I will come like a thief in the night, he's really not talking about the second coming. But he's coming and he's saying, listen, church in Sardis, if you do not wake up. One day you will suddenly realize that I am gone. And that your church is dead. And that the spirit has left you. You know, there has been a ministry on this road. For over a hundred years. And I do not believe for a millisecond that we've completed our mission. But I do believe that if we don't wake up, that God will give that mission to someone else. But this is for us. We are called to this right now. 
And it is time for us to wake up and to strengthen what remains. Jesus goes on in the passage to say that those who do repent and renew their walk will overcome and that they will be clothed with white and they will live and be with Jesus for all eternity. Look again at verse 5. He says, He who overcomes will thus be clothed in a white garment and his name will not be erased from the book of life and I will confess him before my father and before the angels. He who has an ear, let them hear. See, what makes this the best news is regardless of where you are right now, you could be in this room today and you could be completely dead in your sins. And God is still calling you to wake up. He's calling you to wake up and to give your life to Jesus. You could be here today and you may be a Christian. You may have, have been a follower, but you have been so far away from, from the Lord and so far away from being who he has called you to be for so long that you don't even remember what that looks like anymore. And he is still calling you to wake up. Every single person in this room has an opportunity today to repent and to return to God and to be made new. I was reminded as I read that last verse of what Isaiah said to Israel in Isaiah 1.18 when he says, Come now and let us reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. And though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. That same cleansing, that same renewal is offered to you today. And it's offered through this. And if you will repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, if you will let your inside and your outside match and fully give yourself over to God, to love him, to keep him, and to remember all that he has done, then you will be forgiven and you will be made new. But if you cast this aside, if you hope and wait for the next chance or the next opportunity, you may find that it's not going to come. And like a thief in the night, it'll be gone. So I want to encourage you today to not wait as we come to our time of invitation. Joe is going to come up and we are going to sing one more song. And however God has spoken to you today, we want to give you an opportunity to respond. That may mean just coming up to the steps and having a conversation with God and handing the things over to God that, that, that you recognize that you've still been holding back. Maybe it's a full-on thing where you need to really come up and you need to hand everything back to God and just say, God, I I've, I've don't know what I was thinking. And God, I need to give these back to you. We invite you to do that. If you want to pray with me, I'll be here to pray with you. If you just want to come to the steps and, and just talk to God, you're welcome to do that. But if you're here today and you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, and, and, and that's something that you, God's put a burden on your heart and you recognize that, that you may on the outside look like you're doing this Jesus thing, but inside you know that you've never given your life to Jesus, then I'm going to be standing right there. And I want you to come up and I want to talk about it. And I want you to, to talk to me about this and where you see yourself on this picture. And if today is the day that God moves you to give your life to Christ, I, I want it to be today. And whether you talk to me or the person you came with, I challenge you today 
to listen to what God is saying and to wake up as we begin our road to revival. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and King, we thank you so much for your word. God, these are our hard words, but God, they are so necessary. And Lord, it's hard for us to even think for a moment that there's a chance that we might think we are alive, but we might recognize our own death. Lord, I pray that as we are here today, Lord, that we might come to you and strengthen what remains, Lord, that we would remember the gospel. And Lord, for some of us, that means receiving the gospel for the very first time today. God, I pray that we will surrender our lives to you. And whether that means doing it again and giving back to you all the things that we have reclaimed in this life from temptations and whatever it might be, God, I pray that we will do that. Lord, if it means giving our lives to you for the first time today and surrendering ourselves to you, Lord, I pray that that's what happens. But God, you have called us to do something and to do something great and wonderful. And God, that you have a plan for this church and for each member of it. And Lord, I pray that as the next few weeks go by and as we begin this road to revival, Lord, I pray that you would begin that revival in our hearts so that we would no longer seek to just have some sort of outward religion, but God, that we would truly love you and walk with you in every area of our lives. God, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.